Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Filter Watch, Small Media's monthly podcast on Iranian internet policy. I'm Kyle Bowen. This month, we'll be speaking with independent researcher Colin Anderson to discuss a breach of the messaging app Telegram that took place earlier this year, which saw hackers expose the phone numbers of more than 15 million Iranian users. Also this month, we'll highlight some of the latest incidents of app censorship, along with yet another major breach of Iranian users' data from mobile operator Ironcell. But first, headlines. According to Iranian Twitter users, the messaging app Signal has been blocked in Iran. Users cannot make calls or send or receive text via Signal unless they use circumvention tools. Signal has been a popular alternative chat application for Iranians seeking to secure their online communications. Popular rapper Amir Tatalu was arrested for committing immoral acts. As a consequence, thousands of his fans trolled the official Instagram page of Iran's Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei and asked the Supreme Leader to pardon him. The administrators of 450 social media pages active on WhatsApp, Telegram, and Instagram were arrested, many on the basis of sharing unspecified immoral content. And that's it for news. Next up, I'll be speaking with Colin Anderson about Iran's digital security landscape. To discuss this topic with a very special guest, I'll be speaking via Skype to Colin Anderson. He's an independent researcher focusing on internet measurement and control, and he recently gave a presentation at Black Hat entitled Iran's Soft War for Internet Dominance. Colin, welcome to FilterWatch. Thank you for having me. So I want to start by asking you about the Black Hat presentation. For those of us who missed it, could you give a quick summary of some of the most important points? Sure. So the Black Hat presentation is really sort of a technical preview into an extended piece of research that that we're conducting to be published through the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. And the intent is to start to foreshadow the 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 research that we're conducting on Iranian state actors with regard to espionage and surveillance on the internet. And so what we show in, the, in a technical capacity rather than the human capacity, we show in the technical capacity how, uh, how hacking groups that we believe are associated with the Iranian security apparatus uh, use these techniques in order to compromise the online accounts of not only dissidents, but uh, you know, regime adversaries, but also, for example, uh, foreign economic institutions and, and other sorts of targets. So really, that that paper was uh, was more technically inclined in a set of research that is that is really embedded in the the social aspects and the historical aspects of these sorts of activities. One outcome of your research that has gotten some media attention recently concerns the hack of Telegram. Could you talk about that incident, what you found, and what it means? Yeah. So. I think that the original report on Telegram was technically accurate and was was complete. What we found and what was sort of misreported uh, after the fact by others, what we found was actually that uh, that a group of individuals inside of Iran who had also been conducting phishing campaigns against dissidents at the same time using similar infrastructure, the same servers essentially, uh, were basically abusing various parts of Telegram services. And the reason they were abusing these services 
was because they were trying to find information on users inside of Iran. So what we saw is that what they were doing is that they were essentially going down the list of Iranian phone numbers and sending each number one by one to a particular uh, function in Telegram in order to see whether or not there was a, a telegram associated. And so that's not a hack. There wasn't necessarily a compromise of, of people's private messages in doing that. But what they did create was essentially a phone book you know, uh, of, the, of the numbers inside of the country and the account IDs of those who were using telegram. And in doing that, they got, you know, we found at least 15 million numbers. By the end, they probably had something like 18 million numbers. Uh, but they had found that, that phone book for 15 to 18 million users. We also, at the same time, found that there were uh, domains that were registered to look like Telegram that we believed that were used uh, in order to conduct phishing. And so this was the mechanism or one of the mechanisms that they would use in order to get into Telegram accounts. They would engage in people on social networks and they would say, oh, follow me or you know, I've got a message for you. And they would direct people into a certain website. And that website would look like a Telegram login screen. And that's how they would uh, start to capture the credentials for people's Telegram accounts. So really what we showed is a concerted campaign by people inside of Iran to start to get into the accounts of uh, Telegram users, specifically Telegram users that were politically involved or economically involved and might... Uh, be seen as as adversaries or opponents of of the system. Now I have a technical question. I heard that in the Telegram hack, no zero day vulnerabilities were used. First of all, is that true? And second, if so, what does it suggest about Iran's digital security landscape? Yeah, so that's a great question, and this is part of the the, the thing that gives rise to the paper that we're writing, because in the past there's been a lot of. Uh, accusations or, or descriptions about around sophistication uh, in these sorts of activities. And what we try to start to model is, okay, what do they actually do? What are they actually capable of? How do they get into accounts? And then the attacks that we saw against activists, what it was mostly about is social engineering, which is, you know, how do you create these, uh, these deception campaigns in order to convince people to run malware? or hand over their usernames and passwords. And so that's not necessarily technically sophisticated. It's more about uh, deception and coercion. And that makes it a lot easier, I think, to protect yourself if you are you know, concerned about the potential that the Iranian government uh, might, might uh, go after you. And so that means that, you know, for example, if you use two-factor authentication on your Gmail account, you're a lot more likely to be safe uh, than, than uh, under various other circumstances. If you are more aware of how phishing works, if you are more aware of how malware works, then you have the ability to be better protect yourself. And so these are one of the things that, that we uh, are able to describe. Does the fact that the hack wasn't especially technically sophisticated suggest that people aren't taking basic security precautions? Or do you think there's something else going on there? I think that... I. I would be cautious about uh, going that far out because I think that that starts to look like victim shaming. And that's the thing that we don't want to do. We want to model 
what is often being done. There are certainly circumstances in which people have been compromised in ways that were, you know, the, the, the social engineering was really good. You know, we, for example, display a, uh, a, a set of emails where the attacker for multiple people had impersonated a member of Human Rights Watch and had custom tailored the message to their interest and had pretty decent English and the malware was pretty okay. And so, you know, looking at emails like that, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's easy to understand how might, uh, someone might be de deceived. We kind of go further in, in, the, in the full report and we describe situations in which uh, me family members of targets were compromised in order to get to, the, uh, to other people. And so there's this sort of expansive way in which people can be can be targeted, and it's 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 very it's very hard to say that any particular person was uh, was compromised as a result of their own actions. Rather, what I would like to say is the positive aspect, which is, given what we know, there is an ability to a greater ability to protect yourself. You are not, for example, if you are concerned about the Iranian government, this isn't a similar situation as to being targeted by the NSA or the Russian security apparatus, or even what we've seen uh, from yesterday, uh, the Emirati government who are buying uh, tools from, for example, Israeli companies. Uh, those threats are very, very, very difficult to protect against. Uh, and, and the threats that we see from Iran are more manageable risks. So there's reason to be um, optimistic I wouldn't say that any particular person, you know, like kind of got what they had coming because they forgot to do, you know, two factor or anything like that. And also, you know, just to sort of belabor the point, we also demonstrate a little in the Black Hat paper much more later on is that is that these groups that are conducting the attacks are adaptive. They're responsive to the environment that they exist in. When they get caught, they change their mechanism. When they understand that uh, this this approach isn't working anymore. They get better at, for example, writing emails that look more personal, and and in the case, for example, of two-factor authentication, I think civil society did a good job at teaching people. Oh, you should use this this technique. It's you know it's only a little bit more work, uh, but it provides you much more protection. And so most people shifted on to the text message-based two-factor authentication. What we saw was that pretty quickly Iranian actors uh, figured out how to add that into their routine. They didn't break two-factor authentication, but they realized, oh, I can get the two-factor authentication code through this way. And so I will design my phishing scripts in order to capture those things as well. Uh, in, the, in the technical paper, we described the fact that a certain malware family called Infi was uh, was used over the course of at least six years in order to target a wide variety of different types of, of, of individuals and sectors and industries and people in different countries. And in March 2016, so this year, a, or rather May, a company called Palo Alto Networks disclosed uh, the existence of this malware. And one of the things that we found was actually that a couple of weeks later, 
the domain names that the malware sent victim data back to were actually filtered inside of Iran. And so we found this weird circumstance in which the country's filtering mechanism was being used in order to restrict access to domain names uh, that were being used by malware in malware that was supposedly associated with the Iranian government. Uh, some of these these situations become extremely strange, but that is a, um, a a notable instance in which the politics of these campaigns are 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 fascinating. We'll have to leave it there, Colin. Thanks so much for speaking to me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. In our last segment, we'll look at a few interesting statements from Iranian politicians and ICT policymakers. In July, the mobile operator Iran Cell was hacked and its database of 20 million users' personal information was leaked on Telegram. The cyber police and the judiciary claim that the individual responsible for the leak has been identified and arrested. Ebrahim Dorosti, the head of the Union for Mobile and Accessory Sellers, said that 15 million mobile phones have been imported into Iran this year, 60-70% to 70% of which have been imported illegally. Dorosti suggested that tariffs on phone imports should be lowered in order to encourage businesses to import phones legally. Golam Reza Jalali, director of Iran's passive defense organization, said that Iranian officials should not use or buy any software from Western countries. He added that Iran's judiciary will intervene to stop the Central Bank of Iran from purchasing American software. And that does it for this episode of Filter Watch. You can download previous episodes as well as today's show on iTunes or SoundCloud. Remember to visit us online at smallmedia.org.uk and follow us on Twitter at small underscore media. Thanks for listening.